Welcome to the South Edmonton Church of Christ. Uh, this sermon is intended for uh, April the 12th, 2020. This is also Easter Sunday. We're going to be taking a look at the emotions of Jesus's resurrection. This means kind of the emotions of what the disciples were feeling around that time. Uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 24 and also Matthew chapter 28. We'll be kind of jumping a little bit back and forth between those two accounts. Uh, this video is going to be a slightly different format than some of the others. I'm going to have a couple of songs before the sermon and then also one song. Uh, it will uh, be after the sermon. Uh, so just kind of stay tuned for that. So uh, let us now join in song together. And, and these songs are probably going to be a little bit less familiar to you, maybe even completely new to you. Uh, this might be an opportunity for us to learn a few songs together. So uh, let us all join in in song together. My God is alive, my God is alive, my God is creator and he is alive. My God is alive, my God is alive, my God is creator and he is alive. He made all the heavens and earth, yes it's true, he showed all his glory so there's no excuse. So worship, adore him, and baptize his name. So let all the ages his greatness proclaim. My God is alive, my God is alive, my God is alive. The Christ is alive, the Christ is alive, the Christ is our Savior, and he is alive. The Christ is alive. The Christ is alive, the Christ is our Savior, and He is alive. He rose from the bondage and gloom of the grave, exalted on high for the life that He gave. So glory and honor and praise is His name. So chaos of kingdoms His sonship proclaim. The Christ is alive, the Christ is alive. The Christ is alive. God's word is alive. God's word is alive. God's word is the Bible and it is alive. God's word is alive. God's word is alive. God's word is the Bible and it is alive. The Spirit inspired the great men of God who penned all the messages while he Sharpens and swords and it bears the same. Since powers is failing, its worth we proclaim. God's word is alive, God's word is alive, God's word is alive. Arise, arise, our master calls to you. Arise, arise today. Arise, awake, awake, 
If we were disciples of Christ while he died, how would we feel? I want you to think about that. I mean, how would you feel personally? I can tell you that some of us, I'm sure, would be scared. Some of us would even be scared for our own safety. A lot of us would be confused. You know, what what is God doing? Uh, like, why did Jesus die? That would probably make a not a whole lot of sense to many of us. We would feel helpless, hopeless. A lot of us would be just deeply saddened by the whole chain of events that took place. Some of us might even have a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation, though not necessarily in a, in a positive way, just kind of that excitement within us. There'd be a lot of people who would just be in disbelief over it, just kind of not sure, what do we do? How do we process this? And to top it all off, when Jesus died on a Friday uh, evening, the next day was a Sabbath. And the early disciples, of course, of Jesus, they, they were Jewish, so they would be participating in that Sabbath day. So then come Saturday, what they did is they waited. You know, you were kind of forced to wait. And that would have been an interesting time to worship God in the midst of that waiting and trying to find out well, what, what is God going to be doing. And a lot of uncertainty at that time. But after Saturday came Sunday morning. What would you do on Sunday morning? You know, it's, it's kind of the first time that they're able to, to get out and to go and do something. What would you do? In, in, given that situation that you'd find yourself in, what emotions would you be feeling in those types of situations? I believe that the emotions that they dealt with might be able to help us process the current situation uh, a little bit better than what we have in times past. So let's take a look at it and let's, let's see. Let's take a look at some of these emotions that took place at the tomb. I mean, think about that. Whenever they came to the tomb, this is the first time they're starting to realize Jesus isn't here. Well, what now? Well, let's read this together. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week at early dawn, the women went to the tomb taking the aromatic spices they had prepared. Verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood beside them in dazzling attire. The women were terribly frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has been raised. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Well, I want us to, to look at some of these these words that are mentioned there, some of these emotions that they felt. You know, for starters, uh, a lot of these I've underlined and kind of put in bold within the text for this video. But when you look at it, I mean, think about it. The first one I put was at early dawn, and you might be thinking, how is that an emotion? Well, it's an emotion because this was the very first thing that happened. You know, how is that emotionally led? Well, at early dawn, first thing in the morning, this is what took place. Well, you know, we might wonder, why do they do this at early dawn? You know, was it because they were just emotionally led to do it and they just needed to, to go and just see what's happening? Maybe they thought it was necessary during their day because, you know, they, they had to get up there before really their day began. So they just kind of went up in, in the early morning. Maybe that's it. But whatever the case, I think that what this does show us is that these people, they put it in a priority to go see what's going on. To, to take care of the body of Jesus, to take care of him 
uh, at the time that, that, that he had died. At least that's what they were intending to do. But when they get there, then we read words like in verse 4, they were perplexed. So they didn't understand because they didn't find the body of Jesus. So when you go there and you're expecting to worship God, by taking care of this faithful servant. You know, the, from, from their perspective, that's how they're interpreting all this. You know, Jesus, he was a faithful servant and the Messiah, and they don't understand how that's going to work out now, but they're trying to still serve God by taking care of the body of Jesus. But now they're perplexed. What do you do? The body's not there. They couldn't even serve the way that they were going to be serving at the time. And then to top things all off, then they see these, these men who obviously, you know, they're angels, but they're described in the text as these men. And then what happened? Well, they're terribly frightened and they bow down their faces to the ground. I mean, what would you do? You know, it kind of makes sense that they might respond the same way. They just don't know what to do in this instance. They were perplexed. They found this empty tomb. And, and I want to say something, and, and I want you to think about this, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I believe that that Sunday morning, that the empty tomb was found, it was not about the tomb. Now hear me out, okay? I know that we focus so much on the empty tomb and I think that is so important. And you've probably seen, you know, messages on social media about how the tomb was found empty and things like that. And, and it was, I do not want to take away from that. However, there could be a few different reasons as to why the tomb was empty. You know, that's what the women, they were trying to figure out. They were like, well, okay, well, where has Jesus been taken? What has happened to him? They don't know at that point. And sometimes if we aren't careful, what we focus on is this empty tomb, so much so that that's the message that we proclaim. That's not what's so great about Jesus and after he died. It's not that the tomb was found empty. It's that he raised from the dead. Now, you know, if you want to kind of search these things out, I would just sort of challenge you a little bit. You know, go through the scriptures. Take a look at those passages that you might even think talk about the empty tomb. And I think in most of those situations, what you will find is the focus of the early disciple is not on the tomb being found empty. It's on Jesus raised from the dead. And you might be also thinking at that point that, well, that, that's kind of a minor difference. Yeah, the tomb was found empty, but I mean, Jesus raised. Yeah, so that's why the tomb was found empty. But like I said before, there's other reasons the tomb could have been empty. However, none of those other reasons are happening right here. What's happening here is Jesus has raised from the dead. That's going to change things. That's going to change a lot of things. And really, you know, let's face it, it changes everything for us as Christians. Let's keep reading, though, because there's more emotions uh, found in this chapter. And here now we're going to be jumping back and forth between Luke 24 and Matthew 28. So let's let's look at Luke 24. And I'm going to read verse 8 and then verse 9 because it tells us what it is. But verse 8, then the women remembered his words. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then Matthew will pick up the story and tell us what continues. 28, 8. So they left the tomb quickly, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them, saying, Greetings. They came to him, held on to his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. Going now back to Luke 24, verse 11. So what happens whenever the women go and tell about Jesus' brothers in Galilee? Well, 24, 11 of Luke. But these words seem like pure nonsense to them, and they did not believe them. Okay, 
a lot of interesting emotions are taking place in these verses here. So let's kind of unpack some of these together. For starters, the big thing to keep in mind from all of this is God is still in control. God is always in control. Now, a lot of these key figures that are going through these events, you know, they don't know the rest of the, the story here. They don't know how all of these things are going to happen. Yeah, they see Jesus in this, which, I mean, let's face it, that's going to be a huge shock. But they still don't know what does this really mean and what's it going to mean for the future. God is still in control. Even if you don't have all the answers, you know, you're not actually required to have all the answers. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. He's been running this entire universe for a lot longer than uh, you or I have even been on it. He knows how to make things work, and he does it sometimes in very strange ways from our perspective, but that's God's business. We just need to recognize God is in control. He's always in control. So let's look at these emotions again. We see in verse 28 here of Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 28, verse 8, uh, we see the phrase that they had with fear and great joy. Isn't it interesting that those two words are combined? Now, you know, I want you to think about some of these times that maybe you have been, uh, you might have had fear, but then it was combined with great joy because at first those two seem like they don't fit together. However, I think you could probably, if you think about enough situations in which you've been afraid of something perhaps or, or just fearful for one reason or another, and you can still realize there is a great joy in that. Sometimes it just comes to the uncertainty of what's going on. You know it's something great, but you don't know what it might happen in the future. You know, perhaps you experienced that whenever you graduated from high school. You know, you have great joy because you just did something great and wonderful, but then you have some fear because you're going to be going into a whole different chapter of your life now. You know, sometimes we refer to it as the real world. I think we need to be aware that, you know, these people, they've always been in the real world, but there is some uncertainty. Yeah, you're happy, but what next? What's it going to look like? Maybe, you know, if, uh, that, that happened a little bit later, perhaps whenever you, you got married. Yeah, it, it has a whole lot of joy, but then there's also perhaps a little bit of fear. I don't make a joke about that. I'm just saying the fear is in the unknown. You know, what's going to happen in the future? You know, now uh, I know that me as, as a husband, I was thinking, okay, now I'm in charge of, it's not just me. I don't have to look out just for me, but now I've got, you know, me and my wife, you know, this family, and now it is a family. Perhaps you've experienced that with kids. So there's so many different ways in which we can experience these things. And I believe that's what we see here. They're experiencing this fear with a great joy. And we also will see that in the same verse, uh, we see that they ran, okay? Um, look at the different gospel accounts of whenever Jesus uh, it appears after the tomb, and they are constantly running back and forth trying to figure out, okay, what is going on? I've got to tell somebody this great news, and they keep running, and the words about running are found all over this passage. It's mentioned many, many times. I think it's perhaps mentioned more times just at the end of each of the gospels than it's mentioned throughout all the rest of it about people running back and forth because this is good news. This is the gospel message. We've got to tell somebody. But then they also, among all of that, they come to Jesus, they hold on to his feet, they worship him. They don't want him to leave. They just got him back and they, they just, they wanna hold on to him. They want him to be there. They're excited. But they've also got this fear 
Because in verse 10, Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Now, see, this has always been what God and what Jesus want from us. But they are patient with us for us to accept that, for us to be able to not be afraid. Yeah, they desire that. They help us, but they still recognize we are humans and sometimes we are afraid. Going back to Luke now, we see words that uh, the disciples, they this news seemed like pure nonsense to them. They did not believe it at first. Even though the news came from a trusted source, they still, you know, they didn't believe it at first. Let's face it, it sounds a little too good to be true, but do you believe it? You know, they obviously, they eventually did believe it, but at first their initial reaction was to not believe it. We've got to be aware of this today too, because sometimes when people hear the gospel message for the first time, I mean, literally, the gospel message of Jesus Christ who lived 2,000 years ago, that he died on a cross, which is sometimes difficult to even explain. You know, he didn't really do anything wrong, but they still crucified him. So he died on the cross. He was buried. But then on the third day, he rose up from the grave. And that gives us hope that we, too, can be raised from the dead. Sometimes, even today, that can sound a little too good to be true. So sometimes people's initial reaction is it seems like pure nonsense to them. They don't believe, but perhaps give them some time, pray for them, help them along the way and allow them to realize this is true. This is the truest thing you can ever experience. Jesus Christ affects us today and he impacts our lives on a daily basis. So those are some of the emotions that they experienced right at the tomb. But there's more times, more occasions that we read about emotions. And that is about 40 days later, and it's known as the Great Commission. Now, before we get to the most famous uh, version of the Great Commission from Matthew's Gospel, I want us to, to read from Luke's Gospel of what this Great Commission is. And by the way, the Great Commission is just some of the last words that Jesus says, some of the last encounters that Jesus has with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Talk about emotions. They've had a month and a half to process it. What type of emotions do you think they're experiencing then? Let's take a look and see it together. Luke chapter 24, beginning of verse 50. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now during the blessing, he departed and was taken up into heaven. So they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple courts, blessing God. A lot of good emotions taking place right here. Now they've come to a point to where we read in verse 52 that they are worshiping him. We also see that they have great joy. We see that they're blessing God. You know, they're worshiping God. They're praising God. You know, all of these things look great. It really looks like they've got a, a great handle on everything. And, and that is um, what Luke focuses on. And that's what he tells us about. But you know what? There's also more. And there's a little bit more that we find out from Matthew's gospel, and maybe a little bit that uh, we oftentimes don't really mention here. So let's take a look at Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16 now. Still, it's the same occasion, this great commission, this time whenever Jesus ascends in heaven. So, uh, hear what we read. Verse 16. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here in this in this great commission, we find out some of the same things. We see that they worshiped him. Yes. But Matthew tells us another thing here and some other emotions that they're experiencing in verse 17. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, you know, we could take a look and we might think, okay, so so who do you think of those those apostles? Who do you think doubted? You know, maybe a few disciples come to your mind. Uh, but, you know, when it comes down to it, we don't really know. We, we don't have that information. We just see they worshiped him, but some doubted. You know, it is okay for us at times to have some fear mixed in with, with some doubt and for us to be able to, uh, to still worship God and all of that, that fear and, and that doubt that we might experience. And that's a great thing for us to look at is whenever we are experiencing fear and doubt, do we still worship God through it? Now, I will warn you, sometimes the worshiping that we might do for, uh, of God during those times, whenever we do have fear and doubt, when we worship God through that time, it might look a little different than how it normally does. In fact, it probably will look a little different. But you can still worship even in those times. That's what a lot of the Psalms are even about. A lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, perhaps some difficult times, but they still worship God through it. It's a lesson we can learn today. And among those times, if we do have doubts, if we do have fears, if we do have some confusion or uncertainty, are we still obeying God through it? Because let's be honest, most of the time we still know exactly what God wants us to do. Even if we don't know what he's doing in the world, even if we don't know what he's doing with us, we still know how to follow God. We still know how to obey him. Even here in these verses, we see a way of how we obey him. The apostles were told to make disciples of all the nations. Guess what? We still need to be doing that today. The next thing that they're told is they're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what? We're still supposed to be doing that same thing today. And the third thing that they're told after they've made disciples, after they've baptized them, then they're told to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. Guess what? We're still called to not only obey everything that Jesus uh, has taught, but we're also commanded to teach other people so that they can obey just like we ourselves are obeying and this last phrase gives us wonderful hope and allows us to have wonderful peace that he says and remember i am with you always to the end of the age now that's jesus speaking but i want to definitely let you realize and, and make sure that you understand it's not just jesus but it's also jesus the father and the holy spirit they're going to be with us always they're not going to leave us. They're not going to forsake us. They're always going to be there with us. And they're always going to be in control, even if we don't know what's going on and what always exactly we should be doing. We still know we should worship God and we should obey him. Oh
The great God. 